the QR codes that are available for you out in the hallways as well. And on the e-bulletin, calvarychapelgreeley.org, we got a Bible study this morning. So if you open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 24. If you're visiting Calvary Chapel today, we go through the books of the Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And I really believe that that's the way to really grow in God's, you know, uh, in maturity and God's word is going through the scriptures, line upon line, precept upon precept. And we've been doing this with Matthew over the last several months. And we find ourselves in chapter 24 this morning. And it takes us to the Mount of Olives. As Jesus came to him privately, Jesus just told them that as he wept over Jerusalem at the end of chapter 23, that your house is left to you desolate. They would be walking on the temple proper, the temple precincts. It was a magnificent building. It was made of large stones overlaid with gold. It was one of the wonders of the world. And the disciples say, but look at this magnificent temple. Look at these huge stones. And Jesus then would say something that would just floor them. He would say that all of this is going to be cast down. Not one stone is going to be left upon another. They would leave the temple proper. He would go to the east, to the mount called Olivet. And his disciples came to him privately. And they began to ask him about the destruction of the temple. They said, when is this going to be? And they would equate the destruction of the temple with the end of the age, the return of the Lord. They could not imagine a world, you know, that the temple's destroyed that has to be the end of the age. So tell us, verse 3, you might recall, when will these things be? That is the destruction of the temple. Luke focuses on that in the Olivet Discourse. And what will be the sign of your coming? What is the end of the age? And Jesus began to answer them in response to their questions about the end of the days as father we come to you once again and we ask that you would just help our hearts to be attentive right now lord even as we are meeting here in this place we thank you that we can do that we can do that freely but lord we've seen the events that have happened even in this month was happened in afghanistan the fall of a country to the taliban 13 of our servicemen that paid the ultimate sacrifice this week, doing that work in defending us and trying to save lives and get people out. And Lord, we pray for their families that are grieving. It's a loss for our nation. And we pray that as the process continues, even as they speak about an imminent attack that's going to happen, Lord, that, that they would continue to do the, their mission without any more casualties, that you would avert any more attacks, that you would help those who need to get out to get out. There's a whole nation that is now going to be under the rule of that which is dark and evil. And Lord, the Christians that are there being hunted down, going to be put to death that they are found, thrown in prison, tortured. Women that are going to go into slavery. It's so dark as we think about it. We pray for the people of Afghanistan. And Lord, we also pray for those right now, as a Cat 4 hurricane has just made landfall in Louisiana, the strongest storm ever in that state. 16 years ago, to the day Katrina hit, and many of us that can remember the devastating effects that it had on New Orleans. And Lord, I pray that as people are gone and evacuated, that they're wondering, do we even have a home to go to? 
when we get back, that, Lord, that somehow your hand would be upon that situation. There'd be no loss of life. That, Lord, that in the recovery it would go quickly. That the Christians would be there. I know they're going to be there to bring light and relief and be able to mobilize. As we see the events around us that concerns us, that we would understand this, that there is an end to all this, and a glorious end for us who have a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So help us be attentive to these things that we're going to be reading about. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So what are the signs? And Jesus, as he answers them, he says, take heed. He will insert, take heed, watch, be sober, be vigilant. And he does that so that we can be wise and that that we can understand that the Lord is telling us something that's very important. Take heed because there will be false Christs that will come in my name and deceive in many. You'll hear rumors of wars and nation will rise against nation and kingdoms against kingdom. There will be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in various places. All of this is the beginning of sorrows or birth pangs, as we talked about that in detail last time. And then as we continue where we left off in in verse 9, We do read Jesus saying, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. But he who endures to the end will be saved. And in verse 14, in this gospel, the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. So Jesus is telling them and telling us that you're going to be hated, delivered up, people are going to be offended by you. There will be betrayal and false prophets that will be on the the scene deceiving many. There will be lawlessness. People will hate one another, and the love of many will grow cold. And I believe that Paul touched on this, as I made mention of it last week in his last words, the last epistle that he pens before his execution in chapter 3 of Second Timothy, as he writes that the last days, it will be perilous times. Not that it might be, it will be perilous times. And, and Jesus here, he's warning his disciples about these things right before his death, Paul writing to his young protege, Timothy, he is writing before his death as he will be and was executed by Caesar Nero. Take heed, Jesus says. Paul, he writes to Timothy, know this, know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. And we know that that word perilous takes on the meaning of grievous, of of very fierce times. Matter of fact, that it is used one other time, that word perilous in the New Testament. And Paul borrows it from Matthew here in his gospel in chapter 8. As you're familiar with the story of the demoniacs there at the Gadarenes, as Jesus and his disciples came up to the area of the Gadarenes on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. And there were the two demoniacs, and they were very fierce. They were very violent, is what the scriptures tell us. And so fierce, here Paul borrows it and says it's going to be fierce times. Same word. It's going to be demonic times. Men will be lovers of self. They're going to be lovers of money. This is all in the last days. Boasters, proud, blasphemers unloving, unforgiving, slanders, brutal, and so forth. And here back to our text, they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, verse 9, by all for my name's sake. 
when we think about persecution here in our nation, it can be a bit foreign to us here. But we know that there are reports coming out from different missionary you know, uh, groups that deal with the persecuted church and other sources that tell us between about 90 and 100,000 Christians are put to death every year. That's been a steady statistic over the last few decades. And they are put to death because they are Christians. In the early church, we know that the disciples that Jesus are talking to, that they would be delivered up. They would stand before the Sanhedrin council. It would be Stephen, as you read about him in Acts chapter 7. He's recorded to us the first Christian that was martyred for his faith in Jesus Christ as he was stoned there in Jerusalem. Paul, we know, is as the, uh, persecuted by his brethren, as you read in the book of Acts, his countrymen. And then Rome began to persecute the Christians in the first century. In the first 300 years of the church, six million Christians were martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ. And for the last 2,000 years, Christians have been martyred. Persecution is happening, of course, as we just talked about Afghanistan. You know, one of the things about when we went into Afghanistan, it opened up for missionaries to go into Afghanistan, Sue and I, that we were able to support some missionaries that were there. They've long been gone, but they were there teaching English, and they were there giving the gospel. And there are thousands that came to Christ. So there are Christians that are there in Afghanistan as the church has grown. Matter of fact, I just read a source that one of the fastest-growing churches was in Afghanistan. And now they're hiding. Now the Taliban is searching for them, knocking on the door, going after pastors. There are pastors that are getting messages out to you know, different missionary groups. And my friend Wes Bentley saying that we probably are going to be killed soon. If they find us, definitely we will. And we think about that, and it's so sobering. The fastest growing church over the last few years has been in Iran. As the church is growing there and the Christians are being very heavily persecuted. North Korea, in different parts of Asia, and in Africa. And you've heard me talk about when I was in Sudan, South Sudan, you know, 11 years ago. And a time before that when the war was going on. They were some of the most persecuted Christians in all of the world. As we were training the chaplains of the Southern Sudanese Army, and those young guys, all of them had stories because South Sudan was Christian, North Sudan, or the country of Sudan, there is a civil war that they were Muslims, and they were telling me, every one of them, about how family members were killed, their homes burnt down, their family members kidnapped, their own kids were kidnapped. It was terrible, it was awful. And to hear those stories, it just touched my heart in such a deep, deep way as we were there. And many of those chaplains would go up to the front lines. Even some that that I had the privilege to minister to and to teach the Bible. Wes Bentley said, we need guys to come out and just teach the Bible, teach them through the, the Word of God. They're no longer with us. That they've been killed. We know that persecution continues. As we in our own nation, it can be foreign to us, but will we face greater persecution in our nation as we get closer to the return of the Lord? How bad will it get? I don't know. I can't tell you. How long will I be able to stand behind a pulpit and be able to declare truth to you? That Jesus Christ is our salvation. There is none other. Biblical morality. How long will I be able to be on the radio, to be a voice on live radio or a radio program? I don't know how long that'll be. How long will it be for you? 
and you're feeling the pressures that you can't share at work, in your workplace, and we are looking at all of this, and where is it all headed to? Well, Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And we will experience to some degree of persecution that is people coming against us, people that are hating us. Jesus is telling them, know what is, is ahead for you, the days ahead. He would say to them later in the week, that the world will hate you because the world first hated me and you're not of the world. This will all culminate to that time, that final seven-year period that is called Daniel's 70th week. It's the tribulation period that's spoken in detail in Revelation chapter 6 through 19. We know that there's going to be one that's going to be thrust to the forefront. He will come as the day of the Lord, the tribulation begins with this one a title's been given to him, the Antichrist. And he will come on the scene and he will begin to persecute the tribulation saints and he will persecute the Jews very, very heavily. Many are going to be offended. They will betray one another, will hate one another, we read in verse 10. To get a full understanding again of this discourse, you also have to read Mark 13 and Luke chapter 21. Dr. Luke records that Jesus said that you'll be betrayed even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You're experiencing, many of you, that to some degree. Oh, you're not being put to death. In John's gospel, Jesus talks about how he will bring division. From now on, five in one house will be divided, three against two and two against three. And it is extremely difficult when that happens to us. When those that you're closest to, family and friends and others, that those relationships are strained and even severed because you make a stand for Jesus Christ. And that's why, listen, it is so important that we, the family of God, and this family here at Calvary Chapel, that we encourage each other, that we care for each other, that we're patient with each other, that we pray for each other. Because we need each other. To be a family, to come together where God's love is being expressed to one another. And then many false prophets, verse 11 again, will rise up and deceive in many. Jesus had already spoken about false Christ, now false prophets. And then we continue through this teaching. We will see next time he will say false Christ and prophets are going to rise and show great signs and wonders. And that's one of the reasons that I mentioned last week that I get concerned for the church because putting feelings over the word of God there are those in the church that's very popular today. We're going to pursue miracles. We're going to pursue signs. And as John, the elder statesman, as he would write in 1 John, he said, test the spirits to see if they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So how do we test the spirits? Do we test it through feelings? Feelings are real, but they can mislead us. Have you ever felt, any of you, and I'm sure many of you have, man, I just feel like God doesn't love me. I haven't done all that well today. You know, I feel like a spiritual waste. I'll raise my hand. I felt that way at times. Is that true? Is that what God's word says? No, it isn't. So the enemy comes along, who's the accuser of the brethren, who accuses us day and light, and he says, you are a spiritual waste. God doesn't love you. He's not going to forgive you. Just give it up. Forget about it. And so we know that God says that he loves us and his love remains with us. And there's forgiveness and restoration 
And the Lord desires for us to continue on with him and to come to him. We know that there is miracles that Satan can do. And in the last days, there will be those who are on the scene that are going to deceive many by lying signs and wonders. And that's why you can't take signs and wonders and miracles and determine if that's truth. I believe God still works miracles today. I believe he heals. But we have to test everything through the word of God. And remember this, that in the book of Exodus, remember that Moses, they said, Thus saith the Lord to Pharaoh, let my people go. And he threw down a staff and it turned into a serpent. What did Pharaoh's magicians do? They did the same thing, and their staffs turned into snakes. When Moses turned water into blood, it was the magicians that they found some unpolluted water, and they turned it into blood. When he called up the third, you know, the second plague, the third plague, he calls up frogs, and frogs are everywhere. They call up more frogs, those magicians, but they couldn't take the frogs away. And when it was Moses that continued bringing the plagues, they said, this is the finger of God. There's going to be more signs and wonders that people are chasing after that are going to be seen today that are done by false prophets in Christ. Be careful. Be careful. We test everything through the word of God. Jesus speaking about those things. Paul 2 to Timothy. It's going to be perilous. Men are going to have a form of godliness but denying his power. Always learning and never able to come to the truth. Those who resist the truth, men of corrupt minds, disapproving concerning the faith, those who are counterfeit. Timothy, know this, and we here at Calvary Chapel, evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itchy ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables." Earlier, Paul had written to Timothy, and he said this, that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Jesus is telling us this is going to be happening as we get closer to his return. And it's all going to culminate, as I've already said, in the tribulation period, when the Antichrist comes on the scene, when the false prophet is on the scene, and when the false church is on the scene. This is where things are headed. You're going to be persecuted. Lawlessness is going to be abounding. The love of many is going to grow cold, as we read in verse 12. One of the major concerns that we have in our own nation is lawlessness. It's something that we see all the time on the news. There's a concern that violence growing in our cities, major crimes. Right there, all kinds of cell phones that are out there taking videos and cams and all of this, we see the increasing violence, people being mugged right on the streets, being shot in our major cities, such as Seattle, whole sections, the autonomous section, that we are going to take over this section of the city. There are cities, major cities, that are talking about doing away and abolishing the police force. Paul wrote in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, that the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one, that's the title of the Antichrist, that he's going to be revealed. Church, listen. We are more of a restraining factor than, than we sometimes realize. Your prayers, being light, being a voice of truth, there's a restraining that's going on. 
Yes, these are birth pangs. These things are happening, but this is the restraining time. And then when the church is taken out of the way, and I believe that's what Paul's talking about, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in the church, it's not that the Holy Spirit's going to be gone, but that restraining factor of Christians, of the church, is going to be gone. And we are a restraining factor because think about this. What would this nation be like if there was no Christians? Can you imagine that? How lawlessness would just take over and it would be dark quickly. It is believed by most Bible scholars and, and I take the position of that the church is going to be raptured. That the Antichrist cannot come on the scene until that which he is taken out of the way which restrains will be taken and then the lawless one will be revealed. So we are a restraining factor of lawlessness taking over. The Antichrist coming on the scene. When we are gone, when we are taken out of and away from the hour of tribulation, that shall come upon the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth. Revelation chapter 3, verse 16. And when that happens, listen. I believe that there is, most scholars believe, there's going to be some kind of gap of time between the rapture of the church and then the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord, as we'll talk about more specifically next time, does not start with the rapture of the church. It starts with the tribulation period. It starts in Revelation chapter two, 6, verse 2, the rider on the white horse, the Antichrist. Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, when he makes a covenant with Israel for one week. Israel is thrust to the forefront, and we see that Daniel, 70 weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. 69 of those weeks have passed. There's still a 70th week of Daniel, seven-year period. A week is seven years, and that is the tribulation period. And in that seven-year period, that we know that he will come on the scene. And as we look at this, you know, the, the love of many will grow cold. Lawlessness, lawlessness will take over. And this word, the love of many, it's interesting because it's speaking of agape love. It's speaking of God's love. And I mention that. It's important for us to realize that because what do you hear in the world today? Let's just love one another. And the world has come along and redefined love. Just love one another. Just whatever you believe and, and you know, and all of this. And we know that Paul, in the last days, men will be lovers of self. And as he describes the characteristics of men, that will be in the last days, it's a misdirected love. The love of many, God's love, is going to grow cold. And what my prayer and hope for us here at Calvary Chapel is that our love for others would not draw cold, that it would be something as we go through this to remind us of the love of Christ that as people need to hear about it and they need to see it being worked out in our own lives, not snarling, not, you know, grumping and, and all of this. Those people, they love the Lord. And you've heard me say this so many times, but I'm going to say it one more time. That as we minister to people, they want to know how much you care. It's not so much how much you know that they care about, but do they know that you care about them? And that you have the love of Jesus Christ being worked out in your own life and you're expressing it towards them, the love of God. May it not grow cold in our own lives. False prophets will rise up deceiving many, but he who endures to the end will be saved. It's not talking about everyone who endures, who toughs it out to the end will be saved. 
It's not a personal self-effort and endurance that will result in you being saved. It is speaking of those who endured the trial will see the end of the trial, be that by the coming of the Lord or yielding up their life. Remember that Jesus said in chapter 16 that whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And then Paul, as he gave his final exhortation to Timothy, his last charge that Paul gives to us in Scripture is you be watchful in all things, endure affliction, and then you fulfill your ministry. Back to our text, verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and the end will come. As we travel through this Olivet Discourse, here verse 14 is speaking of what will take place in the tribulation period, in the first half of the tribulation period. And as you know, I take the position that the church will be raptured and then we'll, we'll see the tribulation period come. In the second half of the tribulation period that we're going to begin to read about in the next verse, verse 15, Jesus says, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of Daniel the prophet, you need to flee. There's going to be great tribulations such as the world has never seen or ever will see again. That three and a half years called the great tribulation period called Jacob's trouble. For the first three and a half years, there will be according to Revelation chapter 11 two witnesses in Jerusalem. Many scholars believe it's Moses and Elijah. They turn water to blood. They shut up the heavens so it doesn't rain for three and a half years. They strike the world with plagues. Fire comes forth from them. It speaks of the ministry of Moses and Elijah, those two who stood with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, those two who represent the law and the prophets. The eyes of the world will be on them. Revelation chapter 7 tells us of 144,000 Jewish men who are believers, 12,000 each from the 12 tribes of Israel listed there in Revelation chapter 7. They will be evangelizing the whole world. Can you imagine 144,000 Billy Grahams going throughout the world evangelizing the gospel? You know, great glories. And as a result, chapter 7 of Revelation, you see these believers wearing white robes that believe in the Lamb of God. And we know that as John was asked, who are these? See, people say that's the church there. But John was asked, who are these? Who are these? And John says, I don't know who they are. If it was the church, John would have known who they were. He's the elder statesman of the church. He's the last living apostle. He says, I don't know who they are. Well, these are ones that come out of the great tribulation. So the tribulation saints. So there's going to be many that will come to Christ, again, from every tribe, tongues, people, and nation, called the tribulation saints. And the culmination of persecution will come at the hands of the Antichrist, that we will see what the abomination of desolation is, but he's going to put them to death. He's going to do to them what Nero did to Paul, and that is he's going to lop their heads off. That's what the Word of God declares, not Pastor Jeff. And just a little side note. If anyone who is here, you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ, or somebody you might talk to, they say, wow, this is all heavy. I haven't heard of this. I'll wait and see if it happens. I'll see if there's a, a rapture. I'll see if there's an antichrist that comes on the scene. Listen. If you can't live for him now, how are you going to be able to live for him then for the Lord? How much harder it's going to be? Open your heart to him. Because tomorrow isn't promised to any of us. Open your heart to Jesus Christ because he loves you and wants to save you and has provided that. He is the savior of the world. And the invitation is for you to come. 
So as we see that the whole world, the gospel is going to be preached, the two witnesses, the 144,000, and in Revelation chapter 14, I'll read it to you, and you can read it along if you want to turn very quickly in verse 6, or you can just listen. But Revelation chapter 14, verse 6, there's these proclamation of these three angels. And, and we read in verse 6, I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come, and worship him who made heaven and earth and the sea and the springs of water. So there is going to be an angel that's going to fly around the whole earth and preach the everlasting gospel to every tribe, tongues, people, and nation. But there's also two other proclamations. I want to read it to you quickly and then make a comment on it because I think it's important in the day in which we're living in. The other angel followed, saying, Babylon has fallen, has fallen, that great city, because she has made all the nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And then we see the fall of Babylon, religious Babylon in chapter 17 of Revelation, um, commercial Babylon in chapter 18. And then the third angel, listen, this is important, followed them saying with a loud voice, if anyone worships the beast in his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself also shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of his holy angels in the presence of the Lamb. So in other words, the third proclamation is do not take the mark of the beast. If you do, there's no hope of salvation. The reason that I bring that up, because I am still amazed, and I've talked about this before, but some of you may be here, that you've watched YouTubes or you've heard a teaching that if you take the vaccine, that you're going to take the mark of the beast. And I just want to address that. Listen, this is a subject that causes a lot of stress to some of you because you have to make decisions. That you're being told that, that you have to be vaccinated at work or, you know, there's a lot of different convictions on it and we don't all agree on it. There are some of you that are here that you very much, you think that, you know, the vaccine should be mandated and we should all have it. And you're on that end. There are others that are saying that, no, you know, I want to have a choice. I want to be able to, to be able to make that decision for myself. We don't always agree. But here's the thing that I want to pass along, that we would be ones that we don't devour one another. That you read good information accurate information. It's a choice that you're going to have to make. And we're going to be praying for you, for those of you who have to make that choice for work. And I know that some of you are agonizing over it. That we pray that the peace of God rules in your heart. And in Colossians chapter 3, as Paul uses that word rule, it means to make the call, a baseball umpire. And some of you, for ethical reasons, for other reasons, medical reasons, you're just not comfortable in taking the vaccine. Others of you, you feel very strongly about it. Even as the mask, now a mask mandate, has come out, you up on the campus or you that are, have your kids in school. And it's a very much of a hot topic, very emotional, lots of debate. In this room, we're all, you know, got different convictions on it. But may it not bring division among us like it is doing to our nation and what it's doing to the church. Talking to other pastors, it's amazing. Our Christians are just fighting 
with one another. Church is splitting. May that not be the case with us. And here's the sad part. That I'm even getting calls of those who say, you know, we're on the verge of getting divorced. Because husband and wife are debating over the mask and vaccine. Listen, husbands, you may not agree. May there be clarity and there, there be understanding in your convictions. There may not be agreement. Husbands, go home and love your wife. And you pray together. And wives, respect your husband. And my point why I bring this all up, I can say this, is you are making that decision whether you, should, you choose to get the vaccine or not. I can say this. You are not taking the mark of the beast. Because every week I get questions on it. You're not taking the mark of the beast. Are we in the tribulation period? No. Are you being told that you have to worship the Antichrist? No. Has an angel come to you and told you not to take the mark of the beast? If you say yes, then I need to talk to you after the service. But <laughs> We're praying for you. Listen, these are going to be issues and topics that are going to continue. They will continue to just grip our hearts. And I pray that we would give preference to one another. That we would care for one another. We may not all agree. We don't agree. But I'm praying for you as you're making decisions and that you make wise decisions. And you filter through those things that are good and accurate because there's a lot of voices that are out there. And I'm not going to try to encourage you to do something that you don't have the faith to do. So here, as we look at all of this, there's going to be these things that are relative to his return and the end of the age. So what does it mean for us as we wrap things up, moving forward? What do we say? How do we live in an environment where Christians are becoming more ostracized? The word of God is being dismissed and many false voices that are being heard. There's less of a Christian worldview, uh, more false voices that are being heard. The, the morality uh, decreasing and getting away from the ways of God in every area of culture. Jesus warning his disciples in us. Paul pouring out his heart to his son in the faith. In his last words as a spiritual father, Timothy, Timothy, my son in the faith. At the time that Paul is writing this, the church was going through tremendous persecution at the hands of the emperor Nero. He had burnt the city of Rome down. He blamed the Christians. He began to persecute the Christians. He would imprison them. They were being put to death, fed to the lions, burnt at the stake with narrow, mock, narrow mocking them to add to their misery and torture. They were being crucified. Paul would be in his first imprisonment. You recall in Acts chapter 21 that he was arrested there in Jerusalem. He went through a series of trials. He's in Caesarea. He's before the governor. He's before, you know, Agrippa, the king. And he appeals to Caesar. He's a Roman citizen. He had the right to do that. They said, to Caesar, you shall go. The book of Acts ends with Paul on a boat on his way to Rome. And, of course, he gets in a shipwreck. He washes up on Malta. And then he's walking to the city of Rome. That's where the book of Acts ends. Paul, we know, would be in, under house arrest. He's chained to a Roman guard 24-7. He can receive visitors. Uh, 
But he's there for about two years before he goes before Nero. And as he's there, he writes the prison epistles of Philippians, Colossians, Ephesians, Philemon. He would stand before Caesar Nero. There's no record of that in the Bible, but he would be released. And during that time, about five years that he traveled, some you know, scholars believe up in the area of Spain, he would write a letter to Titus, one of the pastoral epistles. He would also write the first letter to Timothy. Nero begins to go insane. He is heavily persecuting the Christians. He orders that Paul be arrested in his second imprisonment of Rome. He's no longer under house arrest, but he would be taken to what was called the Mambertine Dungeon. It was an awful place. He would be walked down what was called the Hallway of Darkness to a wooden platform, and there, there was a trap door. He would be stripped down to his tunic. Ropes are put around his arms. He's lowered down into the Thule Annum. It's a dark place. The door would close, and he'd be in darkness. There's human waste. There would be a spring in one of the corners if you dare take a drink from it. Matter of fact, they've excavated this place, and that spring is still there. And one of the reasons that perhaps they call it the Tulianum is because Tulium in Latin, I believe, means spring of water. So there he is. He'd be a pile of wet straw that you could lay on. And the apostle, he amazes me. There's a reason I'm bringing this up, because I learned from him. He kept an eternal perspective. And then he puts pen to parchment. And he says, Timothy, my son in the faith, it's going to be fierce times in the last days. Those who are lovers of self, of counterfeit and corrupt minds, Timothy, know that evil men and imposters is going to get worse. They're given to myths and fables, having itchy ears. They will not endure sound doctrine. I told you that there will be those in the latter days that will be given over to doctrines of demons. Timothy, you know my manner of life. You know my doctrine. You know my persecutions. And Timothy would know because as a young teenager, Paul coming to Lystra in that first missionary journey, he's stoned there in Lystra. And it says in Acts 15, they drug him out of the city and, and they left him. In other words, they drug him out and they threw him in the garbage heap. And he's left there. And Paul gets up and he goes back in the city. In the second missionary journey, about a year later, we see that Timothy would join them. Timothy, you know my persecutions. And those who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And listen, Paul, as he's writing to Timothy his last words, he isn't complaining, he isn't depressed, he isn't focused on Caesar Nero, but he says, Timothy, I write to you according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. We have life that is promised to us, eternal life. Timothy, you must be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. It is a battle that is out there that we are all in. Timothy, you must continue in the scriptures, the word of God, because it's all inspired. God breathed, put to the page. You be a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You be watchful in all things, Timothy. Endure affliction. Fulfill your ministry. Those exhortations are for us in the day in which we're in as we think about these things, as we read about these things. 
He's taken to the Mamertine dungeon. Paul, in his first hearing, they would pull Paul out of that tulianum. They would clean him up. They would put him on him a clean robe. Then he was taken to the Pauline Basilica. It was a large room that could hold a couple thousand people. Up front was what was called the tribunal. That's where Nero would sit. There would be the senators and lawyers around him to answer any questions that Nero would have about the case. They didn't make the decision concerning Paul. Nero did that. They just answered questions, presented the case against Paul. In the center of that basilica where Paul would be, he would stand there. There's an open ceiling so that the light would shine down on him. On either side of that large room, there's large pillars. And in those days, the men would be on one side, the women on the other side. And with this being Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ, the one who's the leader of the Christian churches, you know, you know that that place was packed out to hear from Paul as they were interested in the court case. And Paul, in his last words, he writes that we have in the New Testament. He says that no one was with me when I gave my defense, my apologia. No one was there. And you got to remember that the Christians were in no hurry to get to Rome at that time because they would end up in that dungeon. And it's Paul that says, I understand, may not be charged against them, but the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. And Paul would bear witness at Rome of the gospel. You know that he did. The last preaching of Paul, it's his last pulpit in he would then be back in that dungeon. They would pull him out a short time later, and death is pronounced, his sentence. They would march him out to the axemen, and he would depart from this life into eternity. Timothy, come to me quickly. My departure is at hand. And there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, and not only to me only, but all who have loved his appearing. He gave his defense. So do you love the appearing of Jesus and are looking for him? Do you have an eternal perspective because we have the promise of life given to us? And you may be the only one in your family or in the workplace or in your neighborhood that you're a Christian, give your defense, your apologia, and you tell people about Jesus Christ. Don't lose that perspective. And may we be used in this day in which we're in to share the love of Jesus Christ, to show the love of Jesus Christ. May it not grow cold because we are here for such a time as this. Amen? So let's keep our eyes on eternity. Father, we thank you. We thank you for these words to encourage us. These are hard things to read, but they're here for our benefit, our blessing, to have the perspective that we are to have, and that is an eternal perspective. And I do pray, Lord, if there is anyone here that you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, listen, he loves you, he died for you, and he's calling you to himself. He wants to save you, forgive you. He's the one that made atonement for your sins. We've all sinned. And the wages of sin is death. But the gift of life, eternal life, is through Jesus Christ. And I pray that you would come to him. 
they would recognize that you need to turn direction, repent, and turn to Jesus and call out to him. He loves you. To come and ask for forgiveness, for him to sit upon the throne of your life as your personal Lord and Savior. He is the Son of God. He proved it by rising from the grave, and we have a living hope now. Will you come? Because tomorrow's unpromised to any of us. Will you come? Right where you are, sincerely, you can pray, Jesus, I come to you. I know that I'm a sinner, and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on that cross for me, and you rose again your life. And I ask that you be my personal Lord and Savior, and I thank you. I thank you for bringing me into this new beginning and being my Savior, and I want you to be my Lord, to guide me and direct me in my life to live for you. Thank you for bringing me into the family of God. In Jesus' name. For all of us, as we leave here, to remember that we get to be light, we get to be truth, we get to give love. What true love is, the love of God. And we don't want to ever forget that we are a restraining factor. And Lord, you want to use us by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Father, I pray that as a family, as a church family, that we would come together in one heart, one accord, one spirit, loving each other and encouraging each other in the days in which we are in. Thank you for today. Bless everyone here as we go our way. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. All right.